It is State Night, KZSM.org, True Community Radio. And this is Riasis. It is the 23rd of April, 2023. Glad to have you with us this evening. And our host here in the studio, Kathy. Hello, Rob. How are you? Good. Good to have you back again. It is, wow, a chilly night for April. This has been beautiful today, but uh, we are nice and warm here inside the studio, and I hope everyone is warmed up. And Kathy, who is your guest this evening? We have on our on our show this evening, Mr. Ezequiel Enriquez, and I have to express my sincere gratitude to have Mr. Enriquez on the show this evening. I initially had asked him to come on, and he said that he, he didn't think that he could do the show, but I'm so glad he called me back, and he said, Kathy, yes, I want to come on the show. So my sincere uh, appreciation for having you on, on the show, and I want to welcome you to the show. So welcome to Raices, Mr. Enriquez. I'm glad to be here with you, Kathy. And um, so as we always like to start off our show, we start off with um, a family segment, genealogy. And um, if you have, um, if you can tell us a little bit about where you grew up, a little bit about your mother and your father, if you grew up here in San Marcos, uh, what neighborhood you grew up in. So tell us a little bit about your family. Excuse me. Tell me a little bit about your family background. Okay, my name is Ezequiel Enriquez. Uh, most people call me Zeke for short. Uh, I was born here in San Marcos. My parents were Beatriz Rodriguez, and my father was Manuel Enriquez. My grandfather on my mother's side, Don Fernando Rodriguez, uh, he was born in Zacatecas, Mexico. And my grandmother on my mother's side came from Monterrey, Mexico. Uh, Those were my maternal grandparents. My paternal grandparents were, I knew very little about since um, my parents were separated uh, right after my sister Jenny was born. But I learned later that one of my paternal great grandmothers or or great-great-grandmothers was of German heritage. On my maternal great-great-grandmother, one was from Spain, uh, pure Spanish. My German great-great-grandmother settled in Texas, and my Spanish great-great-grandmother settled in Mexico, in Mexico. Uh, My parents were both born in, in Texas, my mother in Candelia, and my father in Fentress. My mother and her family, my mother and her family, they moved to San Marcos in the early 1940s, and I was born in 1947. My sister Janie was born in 1949. And um, where, what neighborhood did you grow up here in San Marcos? At, at that time growing up when you were young, what neighborhood did you live in? I grew up in two neighborhoods. As an infant, my mother and I and my father and my older brother, we lived briefly with my father's mother, my grandmother, on Camacho Street. 
en el barrio de la Victoria. Um, In Victory Gardens, right? That's what we call Victory Gardens, Barrio Victoria. Yes. And we lived there like, according to what my mother told me, we lived there like maybe a couple of years. And right after my sister Janie was born, um, my, my parents split up. And we lived our whole juvenile lives on Reynolds Street, which is where the uh, swimming pool is now. Uh, that used to be Reynolds Street in the Rio Vista, Rio Vista area. And they used to call that El Barrio del Jorobo. And I never understood why they called it El Jorobo. But all I know is that El Jorobo means the hunchback. hunchback yeah. So did, did uh, you? There were a lot of families that lived down on that street, and a lot of them were moved out during urban renewal. So did did you li uh, leave that area, or had you already been gone from that neighborhood? I, I lived most of my life. Uh -huh. um, we lived most of our juvenile lives in on, on Reynolds Street mm -hmm. in Rio Vista. Um, my my older brother Ralph. Uh, Rafael, he was born in Gary, Indiana, but my mother said that my mother loved him like he was him, his <laughs> and took him in as his own son. Uh, he even signed for him when he had to get married uh, since he wasn't of age yet. That was my older brother, Rafael. Everybody called him Ralph. Um, and... All my younger sisters, Rosie, Marianne, and Angie, and my younger brother, Ben, uh, they were all born in San Marcos, as well as Janie, my, uh, the oldest of the sisters. And growing up, we were dirt poor, and I, and I mean dirt poor. We, had, we lived in an old shack of a house, and probably like, maybe 10, 10 of us, you know, in, in, in two rooms or a, a living room and a bedroom and a kitchen. Uh, my mother and my aunt Beva, uh, they, had, they had to clean houses to support us, and they were, they were always working. But those were like, like the Fonz used to say, those were the happy days. <laughs> <laughs> they were happy days. Um, like now, you mentioned that you you mentioned you had a brother that um, was born in Indiana. So did y'all went to the Piscas when you were young? Uh, those were not the Pisca days yet. <laughs> uh, when when my when my older brother was born in Gary, Indiana, uh, my parents, my family, they used to go to Michigan and Indiana. Um, they used to pick cherries mm. from the cherry trees, and and uh, they they uh, when they lived in Michigan, they they were staying with this family. They they were called they were named the Robins, and they remained friends for years and years. Even when my mother was, uh, you know, they moved back to San Marcos like 15, 20 years later. They they would still commun communicate. And they would ride each other back and forth. Uh, they, they were pretty good family, the Robins. 
Um, growing up um, here uh, in San Marcos, did you attend school at the school district here? Did you go to school here? I, I started school when I was six years old, and I didn't know a word of English. We were raised speaking Spanish all our lives, so it, it was kind of hard for me to to understand the, the English language. And and um, one of my first grade teachers, Miss Trammell, she was one of the meanest teachers we ever had. And and I, I went I went to, we went to school at um, it used to be called the Southside Elementary School, and it was later changed to Bonham. But when we went, it was called the uh, Southside Elementary School. Um, when she wanted to to show us something and we couldn't understand what she wanted us to see, she would grab us by the ears and drag us to what she wanted us to understand to see. I mean, she was a mean old lady, a mean old lady. Yeah, my, my father would tell me that it was very hard for a lot of Spanish-speaking children, especially those that had to leave the city and go to places like Indiana because... You're gone for what three, four months, and there's no no education for you. And then you come back, and then you're behind, you know, from what the other kids are learning in school. So he said it was very tough because you're always, always a step behind. So yeah, I I understand the frustration that you must have felt, and um, it, it must have been tough growing up like that. Yes, and. I don't. She passed me to the second grade, and I don't even know how she passed me to the second grade because I didn't understand, you know, hardly any any English at all. And um, so, did you continue going to school here? Did uh, what what uh, grade level did you go to school at? Did you graduate? Did you stop at sixth grade or seventh grade? Mm-hmm. How how far did you did you get in your education? Well. In, in elementary in, at South at Southside Elementary, I remember some of my teachers like like Mrs. Haynes. She was a, a second grade teacher. Miss Nicola, uh, she was about the only Hispanic teacher that we had that, that we knew in elementary school. Um, I went to school all my life in San Marcos. Uh, I I dropped out in the seventh grade because my mother pulled us out of school because we moved to Dripping Springs and and we lived with my uncle Felix in Dripping Springs. They uh, they were like you know, like cutting cedar mm-hmm. cutting cedar and we would help them, you know, uh, uh, clean the branches off and load the trucks with the cedar. We uh, I was only like Thirteen years old, but you know my brother and I, Ralph. You know we used to help him a lot. You know doing the um, doing the uh, labor work. And so, when did when did you move back to San Marcos? How long were you in Dripping Springs? Were you there for quite we were, a while? We were in Dripping Springs like maybe like a year, and when we came back to San Marcos, I had to repeat the seventh grade again. And I was an average, I was an average grade student, you know, mainly C's and B's, some B, a few B's, a few A's here and there. 
but hardly any Fs. Every now and then I might get an F, but I, I was an average student, and I was very shy and very quiet in school, but but I was very studious. You know, I, I like to study and learn, and um, I, I finished. I finished. I graduated from high school in 1966, and so so really, that's an accomplishment because you did make it. You did make it through school. A lot of people, you know, would would have tossed in the towels. So, yeah, that's very commendable that that you did go on and get uh, your high school diploma. Yes, and I, I had a couple of years of college. I had I enrolled at Texas State or Southwest Texas State University. Um, I only went like one semester, and and um, I took a few classes in, at Lee Junior College, and and I um, I took I had most of my classes at Austin Community College. In fact, I got my. Uh, real estate license when I was 65 years old, and it only took me one time to pass a test. And 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 some of the real estate people that I talked to said that one lady took her like eight times to pass the test, and it only took me one time, and I passed it, and I was 65 years old. So I've always been studious and and want to learn. I, I still, you know. Uh, read the dictionary, study the dictionary. Um, there's a lot of words that I don't, sometimes I don't understand, so I have to look them up. But. Are, are we ready for a station break? Let's take a quick station ID break. You're listening to Races here on KZSM.org, True Community Radio. Thanks to all those folks listening to us uh, up in Austin, uh, other side of Kyle, uh, down in Kyle, and then uh, over here in San Marcos and uh, all up and down. We've got some folks listening in. Thank you. Uh, we're going to be with you here for the next hour and uh, with uh, Kathy Lara here on Races. Be right back with you. Is delighted to be hosting San Marcos' fifth annual All Women's Art Show honoring International Women's Day, See Me, Changing Perceptions, features 88 beautiful, thought-provoking, and inspired works of art by 88 different area women through a wide range of subjects, media, and traditional and alternative creative techniques. The show provides voice to their unique and engaging perspectives. This year, in celebration of our fifth anniversary, the experience is being expanded to include several additional gatherings and sharing and growing opportunities throughout the duration of the show. All events are free and open to all. We encourage you to visit our website, price-center.org, to get more information and or to register for individual sessions. The Price Center is located at 222 West San Antonio Street in San Marcos, Texas. See you there. Have you ever listened to your music source and decided, you know, it's just not making any sense to me. I sure would like to hear some music kind of dancing in nature, but kind of mellow as well. Well, I have got the program for you. It is called the Melancholy Tea Party, and it is heard live Tuesday mornings at 9 on KZSM.org. say we've had enough to last us for some time I was playing these old cheating games is messing up my mind 
You can say we haven't had enough yet because this is the spring series of the Kissing Alley Concert here for KZSM.org. Yes, join us third Thursday of April the 20th, April 20th from 7 until 9 o'clock. Dr. G and the Mudcats are going to be our special musical guest, family-friendly, free Come on out and just let those chips fall wherever they may. Outside that bedroom door, because you could say that we've been here before. No, I did not misplay that. We rescheduled, not from the 20th, but it is now the 27th. So this next Thursday, hopefully we're going to have some better weather and come on out. Dr. G and the Mudcats here in the Kissing Alley, totally free and uh, all provided to you by KZSM.org. You're listening to Rises here on KZSM.org and the Visa Express on the Shore. Those are the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of KZSM or SMTXCRA. And it is the 23rd of April 2023, and Kathy, let's turn it back over to you. You had mentioned earlier about going to Gary, Indiana and uh, picking cherries, and I had asked you about the Piscas. Did you go to the Piscas, and if you did, where did you go to? Um, <clears throat> yes, you bet we went to the Piscas. <laughs> uh, we went to the Piscas and also the Desaiges. Okay, see, I don't know what that is. Explain the, the to me what yeah. were like wheat control, but mm. wheat, there was hoeing the cotton rolls, hoeing with, with hoes. Um, I, I started picking cotton when I was like four years old. My grandfather, I would go with my grandfather, uh, you know, to the, uh, to the cotton fields, and... I remember he he made me a little sack like maybe like three feet long, and 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 and, and I would I would fill it up, and every time I fill it up, then I would empty it into he his sack, and and um, uh, I remember some of the girls, um, they they would you know like. They won't like teasingly flirt with me. They say, "Guy, qué trabajador, <laughs> what a worker!" <laughs> and and I was only like four years old, and and me chiflaba más, you know. And 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 um, I I would pick up the pace and start working faster, you know. Um, and we we started hoeing cotton. We we started hoeing cotton after the uh, the, pis- the the hoeing cotton was first, and then came the piscas. Um, we started hoeing cotton. Uh, they would pay us ten cents an hour, ten cents an hour. Then uh, a year later, it went up to twenty five cents an hour. A year later, they went up to fifty cents an hour. Then seventy five cents an hour, and the last that I got paid a hoe in cotton was like a dollar twenty five an hour, but I was already like sixteen years old, you know I, I was already like um, ready to get a, a regular job instead of going 
In fact, I think the last time that my mother and my family went to the, the psychist, I didn't go with them because I, I was, you know, I had a, a little steady job. Um, and when, when we would go to the psychist, uh, we would all jump on this truck, and we all had our belongings and everything. When we migrated from San Marcos to Lubbock, Plainview, all those places where they grew cotton, and that's where that's where I met my my second wife. But I I met her. She was the first girl that I that I you know paid any attention to. She would sit like in the front end of the back of the truck, and she would just stare at me and look at me, and and I would you know look look at her you know, and um, we kind of knew that. I liked her, and she liked me. There. Yeah. And and and, but when when I got out of boot camp in in the service, I I married my first wife, which turned out not you know turned Some out not, not, not the right yeah. thing. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about your time in the service. Um, so. Um, what year were you in the service, and what branch uh, were you in? Um, be, be, before the service, when when I was still in school, when I was in junior high, uh, the, the service I joined when I was 17, 18 years old, out of high school. But uh, when when I was younger, I started working at a filling station uh, right here. And uh, across a small HEB, it was a Texaco. I, I was, I, was uh, I, I started like cleaning windshields, and then they gave me a little raise. I started pumping gas, and and then I worked at Dupree at Dupree on Guadalupe, Guadalupe Street. I uh, worked at Dupree for about a year, year and a half. Um, but you know that that that's when I left. That, that's when I left. Um, you know, going to the cotton fields and picking cotton and hoeing cotton. Um, I joined the military right out of high school. I graduated in 1966, and I joined the Marine Corps. Um, the reason I joined the Marine Corps was because when I was like 13 or 14 years old, my cousin Chavelo. Uh, took me to see this movie. It was called Iwo Jima, about the Marines in World War II. And and I got hooked. I said, I, I want to be a Marine when I, you know, when I get older. And 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 so after high school, after high school, I I decided to go ahead and, and join. And I was. I was like, but I, I tried to join before. I was like 17 years old, and I was like a junior in high school, and they, they told me no, that, that, that I was too young, that I had to be 18, and I had to finish high school. So I went ahead and finished high school, and then I, I, jo I joined the Marine Corps. And I, I was in the, in the Marine Corps for four years, from 66 to 1970. Um, I, um, 
I went to um, I was I was I was I went to San Diego for boot camp, and then from boot camp San Diego I went to Camp Pendleton, for uh, IR, uh, IM, I forget ITR training, infantry training regiment. Um, uh, in boot camp it was called MCRD. Uh, there was boot camp Marine Corps Recruit Depot. Um, it, we were there like three months, I think, and from or two or three months, and from there we went to Camp Pendleton for ITR Infantry Training Regiment, and and after that I was sent to um, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I got my my training for my MOS um, Military Occupation. Uh, service, I think. I decided I wanted to be a fireman, so I signed up for uh, a crash crew, and that was that was faster than than being a, a, a airplane mechanic, because airplane mechanics they they had to go to school like maybe like for around a year or somewhere in there, and I said no, man, I want to. I want to finish as soon as I can, so I I signed up for crash crew classes, which was a fireman, and and um, I was in I, I took those classes like for three three months. That was about the length of the course, and after that I went to. They sent me to Yuma, Arizona. I was stationed in Yuma, Arizona for for a year. And then after that, after Yuma, Arizona, when when I first went into the Marine Corps, we were only getting like $68 a month. And I said, um, I had already married my first wife when right after boot camp. So I said, uh, I got to make some more money. And so I volunteered for Westpac. And West, Westpac was... Um, short for Western Pacific duty, which was which was Vietnam, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so I was sent to Vietnam. I, I spent a year in Vietnam from nine, 1968 to 1969. Uh, that was during the Tet Offensive, mm-hmm. and uh, I was there a year. I came back. Uh, they were. I had my orders for Santa Ana, California, but when we were on the ship coming back, they 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 changed my orders, and I went to to Buford, Buford, South Carolina. That's where I spent the rest of my time, uh, where I finished up. And when we were coming back from Vietnam, um, I, I had the opportunity to be on the uh, USS Bear, that was the final, the final uh, trip that that ship made before it was retired. Uh, it was retired yeah. from then, you know, from then on. It no longer in service, and it took us thirty days, thirty days to get from Vietnam to San Francisco. And and when we arrived in San Francisco, 
Uh, we got a pretty bad reception. You know, the protesters, protesters they yeah. were calling us names and and speeding at us and everything. I, I didn't pay any attention. I was young. I could care less what they thought about us. Um, I was only doing my duty, you know, as a, as a uh, United States Marine. But um, uh, we, we got a pretty bad reception. Uh, and, and, and after we got to San Francisco, um, I was sent to, um, to South Carolina. But I, I think I got two weeks. I came home for two weeks. Every every couple of years, we got like two weeks to for leave. We would come home and spend some time with with our families. And after that, that's when I went to uh, South Carolina, and I finished up in South Carolina. Carolina. Uh, are we ready for a station break? Let's, let's take a quick station break, and uh, we'll be right back with you. You are listening to Rice's here on KZSM.org, True Community Radio, San Marcos, Texas. We'll be right back with you after this station ID break. Hey, y'all, this is Diesel D, host of KZSM's Veterans Hour. I want to remind everybody that Soldier Songs and Voices is meeting every Monday at Cheatham Street Warehouse from 5 until 7 p.m. If you are a veteran or active service member of the Armed Forces and want to learn how to write songs and play guitar, stop by Cheatham Street Warehouse located at 119 Cheatham Street or visit us online at SoldierSongsAndVoices.com. Anybody out there interested in chess? Join us at the San Marcos Local Chess Club. We get together every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at the San Marcos Public Library. All levels are welcomed. Everybody is welcomed. All ages are welcomed. It's a really chilled environment just to enjoy and play some chess all together. Order in the court. In the distant year of 2021, mankind has traveled to the far reaches of outer space. This vast galaxy is full of life forms of every shape and size, and there is one common need that unites them all. Not food, not water, in space, Everybody needs a lawyer. But who can rise to the challenge? Who has the guts to defend the denizens of our universe? I'll tell you who. Lance Vibrato, astronaut attorney. Tune in every Sunday at 9 p.m. to hear the cosmic courtroom comedy that befalls Lance Vibrato, astronaut attorney. Only on KZSM.org. Stay tuned tonight. Lance Fabrato, astronaut attorney, going to be on at 9 o'clock tonight. But for right now, you are back with us here in the KZSM studios with Rices, with Kathy Laura. And uh, we are, again, uh, the views expressed on the show are those of the hosts and the guests, not necessarily those of KZSM or SMTXCRA. And Kathy, back with you. 
Um, you had mentioned um, when you got back, you uh, were met with a lot of the protesters. And we know that at that time in our history, there was just a lot of things that were going on in our country. We were, uh, you know, at the beginning of the civil rights movement and then the whole Chicano movement was happening happening at, at that same time. Um, when you were in the military, did how was racism? Did you Were you ever... Um, did you ever see racism in the military or? Plenty. Yeah. <laughs> there was plenty of racism back then in the 60s. And, um, but I forgot to mention that uh, when we used to go to La Piscas and the, the psychics, I forgot to mention that when I met, when I was, met my, my second wife, Rosa, uh, she had the prettiest hazel eyes. They were greenish, greenish, you know, grayish eyes, and she had she had the uh, prettiest eyes, and, and um, that's what attracted me to her, you know, so much. But uh, going back, going back to uh, racism in the military, there was plenty. Uh, uh, we were we were bombarded with racist slurs from sun up to sundown. Uh, they would call us like wet bags, greasers, maskings. The black people were called the N-word. Uh, the Puerto Ricans were called spicks. <laughs> and there was plenty of, plenty of racism to go around. Um, that's from boot camp to training school. And, and even beyond that, um, but I, I remember that one one Puerto Rican got tired of being called a spick, and he beat the heck out of one of the DIs. He beat the heck out of the one of the DIs, and and he got discharged. He got thrown out of the Marine Corps. But before he got thrown out, they they took him to the duty hut, and and all the DIs they ganged up on him, beat the heck out of him, and then they discharged him. But there was plenty, there was a lot of racism. Um, in, in training school, when I was training to be a fireman, uh, there was this sergeant, I was walking down the street, and this sergeant called me, hey, Mexican, come and shine my shoes. Uh, and and, and I, I told him to get screwed <laughs> using the F word, and I was lucky that he didn't write, he didn't write me up, but... Uh, when 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 I was when I was in when I was in Vietnam, uh, we 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 had a mess hall. We had a mess hall, and and I got kitchen duty like for one week, and 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 this this staff sergeant uh, he called me out. He said, "Hey, you dirty Mexican, come and clean this table." So I I called him. I, you know I, I called him the. Um, to go... To do something not so nice to himself, yeah? Yeah, the F word. <laughs> <laughs> the F word. And, and, and he, he rolled me up, so I spent 30 days in CC. Uh, CC was correctional custody. That was like being in jail yeah. for 30 days for, you know, for telling him to go screw himself. And, and um, uh, CC was only like, we spend all our time like in a tent, doing nothing, just maybe you know read some books or whatever you know, and uh, they would bring us lunch and everything. And but 
Yeah. Well, we, you know, I want to thank you for your for your time, you know, that that uh, you did in uh, protecting the, the country and for your time in the service. Um, but I, I want to talk to you about your activism. Um, you know, I have read so many of the letters that you used to write to the newspaper here, letters to the editor, not only here in, in San Marcos, but also at the Hayes Free Press. And I saw some of your letters at the Austin American Statement. Um, do you... Uh, what made you become an activist and, and write those type of letters and get involved in, in speaking your voice? And do you remember your first letter that you wrote to, you know, editor and editorial? Um, um, I've been active in city, matter, in city matters for over 40 years already. And not only the Austin American, I've written letters to the San Antonio Light, San Antonio Express, the Houston Chronicle, um, the Hayes Free Press, and the only newspaper that I can get my letters on is the New York Times. <laughs> but those those letter writers to the New York Times, those people are professionals. They're teachers. They're doctors. They're lawyers. I I I can't I can't compete I can't compare myself to them, but I try anyway. Maybe one of these days they'll print one of my letters. I I I, I keep trying. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, most of my letters, you know, I, I criticize city government for their for their lack of engagement in our Hispanic neighborhoods. You know, whenever white people you know have problems in their neighborhood. The city responders are there, like within minutes or hours, and 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 when when there's problems in the Hispanic neighborhoods, they take days or even weeks to show up. Um, I, one guy that used to, um, um, uh, he used to work. He he was like a supervisor at at, at city at, at, with the city. Uh, he 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 worked he worked like with the electric department. Uh, he he told me one time that uh, there was a problem at Barrio de la Victoria with the electrical wires, and but but the guy that was in charge of you know doing that job was called over the radio that they had another problem at a white neighborhood, so they. They, they took the workers, they left that work, and they came over to the white neighborhood to take care of that problem, and they left ours, you know, for later. <laughs> it, it seemed like, um, you said that, but it seemed like the Victory Gardens project took forever, a way, a way longer than what it should have taken. So what, what was it like, you know, during that time in Victory Gardens when they're doing all this work, and it doesn't seem like the project is moving what, what what was it like for you in, at that time? Um, I mean, and, and I'm I'm uh, I'm sure you wrote letters, uh, and you're talking about lack of engagement. How did it make you feel? Frustration? Uh, well, uh, the project in our neighborhood that, that, that's a different matter. But when I was when, when I was writing when I started writing letters to the editor. Um, like I said, I've been writing for over forty years, and 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 what really got me more involved in in city in city matters was when, uh, you know, when when the uh, the, the police killed uh, 
They, they killed several Hispanic guys. First, they killed Semi Martinez at the Walmart, and then they killed Gilbert Rodriguez at the Barrio del Pescado, and then they killed um, uh, uh, Gonzalez, a uh, Gonzalez boy. He was he was in high school, like 17 years old. They killed him right in front of his mother, and that, that's what really got me, you know, more involved and more more mad at the, at, at the city police and and and, 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 and the city. Uh, and and um, the Gonzalez, the Gonzalez kid, you know, he 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 just had a fork in his hand, and he, and he was he wouldn't drop it, and they killed him right there, you know, on Gravel Street. But um, I have seen like you know, police, you know, they stop Hispanic cars. Uh, especially on Patton by the railroad tracks, mm-hmm. it's constables and and city marshals and for nothing. And they make them take everything out of their cars. They throw everything on the ground. They 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 search their cars, and then they find nothing. And then they take off. And and the poor kids, they have to put everything back in their cars. But you know that's that that's um. Uh, those are the things that got me inspired to, to 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 write more you know uh, complain more against the city and the police um do, well, right right now you know Mondo amigas has a lot of they're doing a lot to try to reform uh, things within the police department because there there have been a lot of in- instances where there are a lot of police officers that are taking um uh, their duty a little bit above and beyond and, and not not practicing, I guess, the way a police officer should practice. And so I'm going to assume now that this practice has been going on for quite some time within the, within the police department, but it's just finally coming to the light. And so hopefully we'll have a little bit of police reform. Well, and that is because of individuals like you in our community that have been bringing this forward and, uh, and definitely appreciate so much, sir, your activism and your help in the community. Thank you very much. You're listening to Reyes here on KCSM. We're going to take a quick station ID break. We'll be right back with you. Join us at 11 a.m. on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month for two new half-hour back-to-back shows, Mothering Earth and Wonderful World. Mothering Earth a show from Wimberley features interviews with locals on important environmental issues in Hayes County. Mothering Earth will be followed by Wonderful World at 11.30. On the second Tuesdays of Wonderful World, hear all about the San Marcos River Foundation from host Diane Wasinich and her guests. On the fourth Tuesdays, host Aspen Navarro and her guests will have news from the San Marcos Greenbelt Alliance. Celebrate our wonderful world with your true community radio station, KZSM. Hi, this is Steve Chelmsford reminding everyone to catch my show, The Mop Tops and the King, featuring an hour of the greatest two artists in the history of rock and roll, Elvis and the Beatles. Every Monday evening at 9 p.m. right here on KZSM, San Marcos Community Radio. On the radio, this is the Sweet Honey Bear Blues on Tuesday at 8 o'clock till 10 o'clock, you got me giving you what you just didn't know you needed. Oh, 
Raíces, Roots, hosted by Kathy Lara. Our past, our present, our future. Join the conversation. Hear the stories. Every Sunday at 7 p.m. right here on kzsm.org, your true community radio station in San Marcos, Texas. And we're back with you here in the studio. Kathy. Um, I have a question for you about Victory Gardens um, because of what I have seen happen to the Dunbar neighborhood. Um, gentrification is always on a lot of people's mind, and we're starting to see the neighborhoods change. What do you think is going to happen in Victory Gardens as far as gentrification goes within the next 10 or 15 years? How do you think Victory Gardens is going to change? Oh, we're, we're talking about the, the, new people, the new people that are moving into the neighborhood. How do you think Victory Gardens is going to change? Now that we see new people coming in, um, I, th- I think it's been changing uh, gradually, but a lot. Uh, I've noticed that there's more white families, uh, or not families, but kids moving in, and I, 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 I tell my wife it looks like they're, um, uh, you know, there's there's they're going to take over our neighborhoods because a lot of you know. Uh, Hispanics that used to live in Barrio de la Victoria and other neighbor, Spanish neighborhoods, uh, they're moving out to maybe Rancho Vista and other places, and oh, more white people are moving in into our neighborhoods. But uh, I wanted to touch base on, on the Victory Garden project um, when they were fixing our streets in Victory Gardens, and that was I think that was a complete disaster in my opinion, because the city engineer in charge of the project, he had no control over the contractors. Um, I, I, I still believe that that was one of the reasons Mr. Lombreras left was because I, I wrote him a letter. He wouldn't talk to me on the phone. Um, I, I told him that it, they did not finish on time like they promised, which was two years, that I was going to file a class action lawsuit against them. And the city, I still think that's one reason that he decided to quit because he quit all of a sudden. You know, he just said, you know, that's it. He's going to retire. Um, the contractor had a guy in charge who was very hard to get along with. Um, a, a lot of the crews that were working for him, they quit on him. You know, and, and these were the crews that were doing the concrete and the sidewalks and all that. And and, and uh, he, he was like... Uh, a, a boss, a, what do you call those bosses that are real, you know, mean? Uh, I, I can't, don't re, can't remember the word for it. Uh, he was a real mean guy. Um, the, and the reason the contractors gave the city that they were taking a long time was be, because they there were a lot of uh, unforeseen obstacles that they did not see before. And that's, that's what they were taking longer to finish, and 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 and, and I, I kept asking my the one the one city councilman I kept asking him find out if they they were paying the contractors more money because they're taking longer. He said no, they're not paying the they're not paying the contractor more. It's, it's the same thing, but I think I think the city paid them more than than the, the than, actual contract. Than what, yeah. You know the the bid was for. Um, uh, the, after the project was 
supposedly finished, people still have problems, you know, like with leaking water meters and crack sidewalks, cheap curbs. Uh, they cut down a, a lot of our magnificent trees. Uh, they, they took our rich humus dirt and they were taking it, hauling it off somewhere, and they replaced it with dirt that they brought in. I don't know from where, but it's like like clay. It's real hard dirt, and grass won't grow on it. Only weeds and and and, and um, um, uh, uh, some kind of grass that came with the dirt. You know that's that wasn't we didn't have before. Um, but besides, you know, besides uh, messing up the sidewalks and curbs and, and and cutting down our trees and all that, uh, they were also doing driveways on the side. Uh, they were making money um, by by um, doing sidewalks, and, and, and we would have to pay for the concrete, but they furnished the equipment and the workers, and the contractors were not supposed to do that, but they were making like twelve, twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars on the side for each driveway that they put in. Yeah, because that's only supposed to come up to the street, so they're coming onto somebody's personal no, property. No, they were further in, all yeah. the way in. Uh, they were making driveways yeah. all the way in. They were making money, in the, so so the city lost a lot of money. They were ripped off. The city was really ripped off, you know, and and also. Um, like um, Virginia Street, it used to run from railroad to to um, um, where Manas, yeah, Manas uh-huh. Street. What's the name of that street? Where Manas? Alabama. Alabama, and and then on to uh, Georgia, and so the city engineer he uh, he blocked it off, and I didn't think the city engineer had the power to do that without city council approval. But they, they cut off uh, Virginia, mm. uh, and, 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 and then at the corner of Virginia uh, and, and, and um, Georgia and Wavell Streets, they put a, 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 they restructured the corner, and I don't, I don't even know if the city council approved that or not, but the, these guys were doing what, what, what they wanted to do. At least it um, wasn't a roundabout down there. <laughs> or an island, <laughs> a little island. But, you know, not only did the, 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 city, the city didn't lose any money, the, we did, the taxpayers, because the burden falls on the taxpayers. We have to foot the bill, you know. Um, but as far as gentr- gentr- gentrification, that was one of the words I couldn't find in the dictionary. <laughs> As far as gentrification, yeah, it looks like, you know, we're the more Hispanics are moving out and more white people are moving in. And well, because um, Victory Gardens uh, here within the last 15 years has been a much older neighborhood. And the people that have been, been there, their kids are taking them out of the neighborhoods. The houses are selling. And so people of non-Hispanic uh, descent are moving in. So... I don't. I don't know how long it'll be, but I do foresee some gentrification at Victory mm-hmm. Gardens. Um, we're, we're, go ahead. Um, and, and the train, the train situation. I've been calling them and calling them. You know, they block Patton Street for hours every day. I call the city managers, and they won't. They won't talk to me. Uh, all they have to do is call Union Pacific. All they they have have to get on Union Pacific. And, and every day, the city manager has to do that, or the mayor, they, they won't do anything. 
I, I heard just last week that McCarty was shut down for three and a half hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, it's been longer. Yeah. It's up to four or five hours. The train, you know, blocks the traffic. And, and um, all they have to do is move a little further up, like 500 feet further up. And, 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 and the last box car will clear patent. But the city manager and the mayor, they, you know, it, it's their job to, to call Union Pacific and complain. If not, you know, call the United States Department of Commerce. I called the United States Department of Commerce. And they, what they told me was that Union Pacific was too powerful. Uh, they, we can't do anything. You know, because they have more. Well, know, they pretty attorneys. they pretty much own you know the the railroad track and what is it like ten feet on each side or something like that. So, well, yeah, yeah. And the the problem is is that the trains are getting longer and longer. They're trying to get more on each of the trains. So now, where it used to be that they had a little bit more, if they're just off a little bit, it the, throws everything. It on. throws everything. So what? Um, we're almost out of time. So tell me the one of the last things that you like for us to know. Yeah, so we're almost out of time. So let's talk about one more topic. Um, I wanted to talk about Mano Amiga. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people, when they, when they had problems, they would come to me, and I would try to help them. But now that we have Mano Amiga, you know, they, they're a whole lot more... More structured. They have more resources more yeah. than me. You know, and... and, and um, um, I just wanted to say that, um, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people, they, they, you know, they talk about Ruben, Ruben Ruiz and Celestino Mendes, and, and they, were, they were great role models. Um, but I think, I think that Rolfo Gonzalez, I think he has done more for the Spanish communities than any other person. And I don't want people to get me wrong, but uh, Ruben Ruiz and Celestino Mendes, I, I don't think they did as much as, as, as Rolfo Gonzalez. Rolfo Gonzalez has done a lot to help the Hispanic communities. And these other guys, they're great role models, and, and, and uh, we have a lot of respect for them. But I, I think that uh, Mr. Rafael Gonzalez, I think he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, especially like, you know, uh, now that we have Mano Amiga. Uh, um, I, you know, I think that um, we're better off now because we have, now we have some representation. If, if something goes wrong with, with, the, um, um, with, with, with Hispanics and they can't afford an attorney or whatever, you know, they can always go to Mano Amiga, and and, 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 and we can depend that we, we can we, we can you know be represented 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 by 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 them you know somebody who has more resources than than, than anybody else. Well, we we want to thank you for coming on the show, and it sounds like you have so much to say. And I think we're going to invite you back to the show, and we'll have you on at another time. And in closing, I want to remind everybody about the AMVETS. They're having their um, pork steak fundraiser this Saturday over at the VFW. And uh, the uh, Pauline Espinosa Community Center dedication is also happening this Thursday. I mean, this uh, on the 27th, Thursday the 27th at 10 a.m. at 170 Charles Austin Drive. And next week. Uh, Richard Anzandula is going to be here to talk to us about the uh, Cinco de Mayo Cinco over de Mayo. at the uh, courthouse. All right.
right. Kathy, thank you very much. And to be back with us next week, Mr. Enriquez, thank you very much. Thank you.